In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Today during the Mass, the Mass of Christmas Eve, the Church proposes us with a short passage from Psalm 88. It says, I will sing forever of your love, O Lord. That's the response. I will sing forever. Forever. I will sing forever of your love, O Lord. Through all ages, my mouth will proclaim proclaim your truth. Of this I am sure, that your your love lasts forever. That your truth is firmly established as the heavens. This is from this evening's responsorial psalm, so you'll hear it again. And it'll be occasion for us to give thanks and to be filled, like this psalm is, full of this beautiful exaltation of joy, of somebody who gives praise at the hymns and the songs, or psalms and songs of the, of the church, as a way for us together to adore God. I will sing forever of your love, O God. I will sing forever, no matter what happens. Forever. Like forever. I mean, isn't it wonderful how Christmas is known for caroling, for singing? I guess people still do that, but not now. Going door to door, singing Christmas carols. And many, many cultures have beautiful Christmas carols. I will sing. I will sing forever. There are Christmas concerts every year. Our parents used to drag us to the Nutcracker Suite every year. Even though it, I don't know, does it have much to do with Christmas? I don't know, but the, it was always played at Christmas. I know that, and we never get used to these hymns. Well, maybe if we heard them in uh, April, okay. But uh, but perhaps when you sing "O Little Town of Bethlehem" or "Holy Night," uh, I'm I'm familiar with all the, the German repertoire, you know, "O Tannenbaum." Is old Christmas tree. They, at least for me, they evoke my childhood. They evoke uh, simplicity, confidence, and a certain there's a certain solemnity to them all. A certain, I guess you could call that a kind of liturgy. That's that's the origin of the of these Christmas carols, cultural, liturgical. I know. Well, if I can tell you my own experience of my own life, uh, the tree was like a tree was lit up with real candles, real candles. This was the German tradition. You had real candles. They were lit up with like real fire right next to the, you know, the branches. 
But below you had a bucket of water, just in case. And below were all the, the, the gifts. But you couldn't even look at the gifts until you sang all the Christmas carols. And it was like, it was like you had to go through the old little town of Bethlehem, old little man, old white, old Tannenbaum, old Fröhliche Night. And you had to do it standing, solemnly, and don't look too much at the gifts. Because uh, it was a solemn occasion of thanksgiving. And of course, some of these hymns recount the glory of God. Some of them speak about the humility of the simple babe there in the manger, in the cave. Some of them speak about the joy of the shepherds. The holiness of the night. Silent and tranquil. The peace on earth that is to be extended to all men. All the the different themes. And really all men, everybody around us today is celebrating Christmas in some way. There's there's such such a universal appeal to it. They also celebrate family. They celebrate connection. We somehow think on a night like tonight, Christmas Eve, nobody should be alone. Nobody should be alone. So, you know, the Zoom servers are getting heated up. Uh, Probably they're going to explode for the number of people that are using FaceTime and uh, Zoom and uh, WhatsApp video calls. With grandmothers and grandfathers connecting with their, with their, with their children and their grandchildren. We really think nobody should be alone in this time. It's funny. My mother's neighbor, who's a Jewish, she called her and she said, "Where are you?" She said, "Well, I'm right next to you. I'm, you know, she was in, a, in the apartment building. I mean, the apartment, not the apartment, right next to it. I mean, like two feet away, literally." I'm right, I'm here, I'm at home. What are you doing, alone, on Christmas Eve? You shouldn't be alone. Come over, and we'll have supper together. And she's Jewish, you know, she's celebrating Christmas. And she said, no, you come over to my place, and this time I will celebrate with you. Oh, okay. And uh, it has this universality to it. Especially... I would say, like among the, the themes that are so universal in Christmas is joy. Joy. A theme of joy because, because God has come close to us. He's made himself vulnerable to us like a little child. That little child right there, isn't that a vulnerable child? <laughs> That's a vulnerable child with a little lamb protecting him. And we also focus on the tenderness of the Blessed Virgin Mary as well as the protective gaze of St. Joseph, the purity of Mary. Each one has a role. Joseph, Mary, the angels. Each one is there adoring the, the, the child, even the animals. Here we have lambs. But of course, no manger scene is complete without ox and an ass. Is there an ox and an ass here? <laughs> This is heretical. This is heretical. I think this is a heresy. Literally. 
I think we get condemned by the Holy Seed. I can't believe it. There's no... I can't believe this. I think we're going to have to, you know, paint it over and put a little ox and an ass inside. You know. It's very bad. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. But uh, it's true, though, that historically speaking, there is, you know, no manger scene is complete without ox and ass. They also have horses and lambs and, and, and cows and birds and uh, barn cats and whatnot. No? But, uh, but the ox and the ass, I mean, come on, come on. And they're mentioned in the Christmas carols too. Mary nodded and the little drummer boy, Mary nodded and uh, ox and ass kept time. Right? And kept the time. But why in all manger scenes from the early Middle Ages to the frescoes, to, well, to the, to the mosaics, are ox and ass there? Well, it's not random. The Byzantine mosaics have them. Byzantine um, icons have them. It's not random. It comes the origin. Uh, I don't think it's mentioned. I don't think it's mentioned in like the gospel accounts. But the, the there is a scriptural element, and that's from Isaiah. Isaiah says, uh, "The ox knows its owner, and the doctor, doctor, excuse me, the donkey, its master's crib." But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. You know, like the ox, they understand. The, the donkey understands. But you, people of Israel, you don't understand. You're like... So the Isaiah passage is kind of like God lamenting his people's disobedience to his message, to his mandates. Contrasting that disobedience, that inability to see God with the obedience of animals, in particular to that ox and ass. But Origen, one of the fathers of the church, the Greek fathers of the church, um, he reasoned that when human ignorance of God's lordship, he asked, when is human ignorance of God's lordship at its most extreme? He says, when the Messiah came to his own, but his own received him not in his own, you know, that's that because he was not always received in his own town. But we are here, like docile. Oh, I can't even point behind because there's no ox and ass, but uh, we're here, like uh, maybe there's one on the other side, I can't see him, but but um, we're here, like a docile ox and ass to listen to you because you want to tell us something as we gaze upon you as Mary and Joseph are gazing upon you here. But of course, the fact that they included ox and ass in all these paintings was more than just that little passage from Isaiah. Also, there were, there were symbolism. The ox ceremoniously, for the Jews, was considered a clean animal, you know, the ox. But the ass or the donkey, not. It was considered unclean. And so you have there like a, a rich allegorical warrant uh, for placing both Jew and Gentile under condemnation, but basically it meant that, for many, it meant that the, the ass was a symbol of the, uh, of the Jews and the ox a symbol of the Gentiles. And so that's why if you look carefully at all, some of those paintings, uh, the ass is kind of going, 
going like this, right? Looking away from the child, and the ox is like focused. Like one is up and one is down. One is looking away, one is looking straight at the child. Meant to be a symbol of the Gentiles who embraced Christ and the Jews who didn't. I don't know. It's it's just iconography. Looking at the, you know, it's not uh, it's not a doctrine of the church as such, but. Uh, but there's not only Isaiah, there's also Habakkuk, who's one of the minor prophets. Isaiah is a major prophet in terms of his length and his importance from the tribe of Judah. But there's also Habakkuk, who was of the, of, uh, the tribe of Israel, of uh, the north. And uh, he says that in the midst of two animals, thou shalt be known. In the midst of two animals. So the fathers of the church, they, you know, they, in French, they say, décortiquer. They, they say they, they got all these, tried to figure out all this out, and they said, well, uh, they added to, the, to this mix, uh, you know, what two animals was God made known between? If, if Habakkuk says, in the midst of two animals, that shall be known, well, it had to be between ox and ass. That, so God was made known there. And so, these scenes, of which I'm sure you'll have seen many, is an invitation for us to get to know the Lord more, whom we have here now in the tabernacle, but that we adore in a special way as a little child. Simple child, vulnerable, and just asking to be loved. Who can't love a little child? He's just asking. This is what St. Josemaria said in Christ is Passing By. Every time Christmas comes around, I love to look at representations of the child Jesus. I love to look at representations of the child Jesus. Statues and pictures which show a God who lowered himself and remind me that God is calling us. The Almighty wants us to know that he is defenseless, that he needs men's help. From the cradle at Bethlehem, Christ tells, us, tells you and me that he needs us. He urges us to live a Christian life to the full, a life of self-sacrifice, work, and joy. So that's why he becomes a child, so we protect him, so we give ourselves to him. Anybody has any have seen a baby like that? There, there he is, you know, little baby Jesus. Any, any child, as soon as you walk out of the room, if you leave... He, he gets anxious. He, his mother takes a bit of a distance. He gets anxious. You know, what am I going to do here if I have a problem? You know? I, I can't even. I don't even know how to call nine one one. I mean, a little baby is thinking. You know, he says, "My arms are too short. I mean, I can't do anything. I'm stuck in this little crib." So they get nervous. So they need protection. But let us go back to that. Psalm 88 that we started this evening's prayer. We said, I will sing forever of your love, O God, O Lord. I will sing forever of your love, O Lord. That's what we will hear tonight. However, that, now I don't know exactly what that translation is. I believe that's the Jerusalem Bible. I'm not 100% sure. But I happen to come across the Revised Standard Version, which I believe is the one we use in the Canadian Missal. 
And it doesn't say the same thing. It's a different, it's the same psalm, but it says something else. So, we started with, I will sing forever of your love, O Lord. But the Revised Standard says, I will sing of thy steadfast love, O Lord, forever. See, one says, I will be the one singing of your love. Here it says, I will sing of thy steadfast love. What's, what's steadfast? What is lasting forever? It's your love. God's love. And I will happen to be. I will, adore, I will sing it forever. Yes. With my mouth, it continues, with my mouth, I will proclaim thy faithfulness to all generations. For thy steadfast love was established forever. Thy faithfulness is firm as the heavens. Thou hast said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, and I will establish your descendants forever and build your throne for all generations. You see how the emphasis, I don't know, it's just they add a few words and I don't know, I don't know what the original Hebrew is or exactly, I, I can't tell you. But, uh, but this translation emphasizes the steadfastness of God's love. It's like God is the one who is really loving. What is, in other words, what is truly steadfast, what is truly lasting is God's love for his creatures. God's love for you, for me. For his sons and daughters. It's steadfast. And that's why I can, I can sing it forever. That's why we will be perennially singing Christmas carols in heaven. And maybe watching Christmas movies. Well, you know, that's why, isn't that true? Why there are perennially, every year, Christmas songs, Christmas movies. Whether they're Die Hard or whether It's a Wonderful Life or, I don't know, but uh, you know, it's a wonderful life. 1946. You know how much that brought people up? And it continues to bring people up every year. Because somewhere we understand there that God's love is steadfast. And that steadfastness is not something that belongs to us. We are not the ones who are steadfast. It is God who is steadfast. He is the one who is faithful. It's strong, enduring, precisely because it belongs to God. And, of course, God's covenant with David is equally enduring because God has sworn as much. And so, let's have confidence in that love that God has for us. It was described as this steadfast love. God loves me no matter what I do. Even if I, if I, make a, if I just make a mess, if I have faults and, and weaknesses... And I get mad and angry, and I lack meekness. And all these sins, you know, well up within me. Some mysterious way, God still loves me. That's why we have to. That's one of the. Well, that's the main reason why we have to be filled with joy. And that's why we have to correspond to that everlasting love with our love, that steadfast love with our love, with our correspondence. Now, traditionally in the Christmas liturgy, or at least the Christmas Eve liturgy, there, there would be a cantor who would sing what's called the kalenda. It's kind of like the equivalent of the, of the exultate that, uh, in the Easter Vigil. It's a beautiful hymn that, hymn that a cantor would sing. And the crowd would... I, I, I mean, 
I think it would be at the entrance of the, of the Mass. And it describes the time when Jesus was born in the 25th day of December, when ages beyond number had run their course. It kind of, with a, in a very poetic way, gives the time and place, you know, and centuries ago, and the Almighty, etc. It's, it's a very um, sort of all-encompassing, poetic description of the time in which Jesus Christ came to be incarnate as a child. It, and, and, and the whole history of, of his lineage, and it says around the thousands years since David was anointed king, in the 65th week of the prophecy of Daniel, in the 194th Olympiad, in the year 752, since the foundation of the city of Rome, because they counted from the foundation of Rome, in the 42nd year of the reign of Caesar Octavian Augustus, the whole world being at peace. And then, with a bow of the head, he says, Jesus Christ, the eternal God and Son of the eternal Father, desiring to consecrate the world by his loving presence, was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and when nine months had passed since his conception, was born of the Virgin Mary in Bethlehem of Judah, and was made man. And everybody kneels and silence. I mean, I'll pack your churches. Right? Now it's easy, and churches aren't packed, but uh, everybody kneels. He was made man. Et incarnatus est. That is the nativity of our Lord according to the flesh, but he has loved us eternally. And Pope Francis mentioned this. He said, Christmas night tells each person, no matter how poor or sinful, that they are utterly and totally loved by God. It is the love of God for you that we celebrate. It's the love of God for us that we celebrate tonight. And um, it makes it easier for us when we consider his love for us and how steadfast it is, how eternal, no matter what, it makes it easier for us to love him. For all those of us. And also makes it easier for us, for, for us to love those who are made in his image. Because he loves them too. That's why we have to love others. Because they are made in his image. We cannot love people because, because we like we like. Uh, I don't know their fashion dress uh, because they're nice people they're, they're, they're pretty that's not why we love them I mean that helps I guess but uh, <laughs> but it's not why we love them you know C.S. Lewis said you may not like them but act as if you did and you will come to love them right? act as though you did maybe that's what we could do that's, that's a good there you go that's it. Done. That's our resolution. No matter who I see, I will act as though I love them more than anybody. I will act. Overcoming interior little rebellions uh, and ask for this meekness. That's, isn't that, why can we do that? It's because we're meek. A person is meek and humble. They overcome their inner resistance. And then if you act as though you love that person, and you say, hello, how are you? Oh, I'm so happy to see you. Oh, it's good to see you. Oh, you're nice. Oh, you're looking so wonderful. And you, and you just act, 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 act. You will suddenly, actually, begin to love them. 
No. This is what we ask our Blessed Mother. And um, we could put ourselves in the guise of the shepherds, whatever we want. But our Blessed Mother will help us, intercede for us, so that we learn really the act of being loved by God, that steadfast love forever. Try to pay attention to the, to the psalm when we read it today in Mass. Pay attention, I mean, you know, just see if you can catch it. And, um, and Our Lady will help us to make this a very fruitful Christmas for us, our family, and the entire church. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.